Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden at Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, if memory serves me correctly from the last time I was at Witts University, Witts is one of the many universities in Africa that receives delegations of foreign students who come from all over the world, most notably probably from the United States and Europe. We're doing a study abroad, summer abroad. These overseas educational exchanges um, are, in fact, not new at all. And so it's something that people have been doing for a long time. Students, both in high school and college, have been doing uh, up and down the continent. In fact, when I was at UC Berkeley as a student, I almost went to the University of Nairobi in Kenya uh, to do a summer abroad. And so while it's really common practice, in fact, probably a big moneymaker for a number of African universities to host exchanges from overseas, uh, the Chinese, for the most part, haven't done that. And in part because the Chinese educational system has been one that has been focused mainly on testing and grades. And so the thought of sending children abroad to study and learn about cultures and languages uh, really just goes completely counter to the instincts that, that most parents have in terms of what it takes to get into a Chinese university. However, now, as the trend is shifting for many Chinese to study in other parts of the world, most notably the United States, picking up these experiences in places like Africa is becoming increasingly important. So what you're seeing more and more is an increasing number of Chinese students spending time in Africa, especially in between high school and college, uh, trying to do good for Africans while also trying to improve their own resumes and college application essays. Yeah, and one of the programs that's doing that is the China-Ghana Changemaker Program, which is run by one of the application consulting firms, AIC, designed to help Chinese students get into U.S. universities. We are thrilled to have on the line from Beijing the co-founder of the China-Ghana Changemaker Program, Francis Miller. A very good evening to you, Francis. Thank you, Eric and Kobus. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, welcome to the program. We're very excited to have you. You have just started this program. You've finished the first year where you take seven high school students and you bring them to what is, I mean, from the, the, the PowerPoint slide that you have, is an absolutely phenomenal program where you're giving them kind of exposure to different ideas, where they do preparation before they go to Ghana, then they are working in classrooms, they get to present to the Chinese embassy. I mean, it just sounds like an amazing program. Why don't you just kind of set it up for us as to what is the China-Ghana Changemaker program and, and, and kind of explain what are some of the activities that the students do? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so the China-Ghana Changemaker program is essentially uh, pulled down to its essence a two-and-a-half-week experience uh, in Ghana uh, for Chinese high school students to kind of really get a, a genuine cultural exchange experience, but uh, not only um, kind of a traditional volunteerism trip. We really wanted to focus uh, this trip on the change-maker component. So the... Uh, trip itself, um, it actually began uh, before we arrived in Ghana. Uh, we walked our students through a month-long teacher training program uh, to prepare them to go into a classroom in a rural school uh, in Heritage Academy, uh, where our students taught four different classes. Um, our students also prepared for the program by attending a forum uh, in Beijing at the Columbia University, uh, Columbia Global Center in Beijing. Uh, the forum itself was titled uh, Bridging Cultures, Education, and Entrepreneurship on the Global Stage. So 
before our students even arrived in Ghana, they had a chance to grapple with uh, some of these ideas surrounding um, education, uh, international education in particular, as well as uh, entrepreneurship and how that is uh, helping to uh, exchange uh, ideas uh, in tech, uh, and um, particularly between China and Africa. Um, arriving in Ghana, uh, our students spent the morning uh, teaching three periods uh, of middle school students. Um, the four classes that they taught were Wu uh, Ziqi, uh, also known as uh, five NRL, um, as well as public speaking, uh, traditional Chinese art and history, and uh, science. Uh, especially uh, physics experiments. Um, in the afternoons, our students, uh, we taught them uh, a two-week-long course uh, in social entrepreneurship. Um, so our students uh, were in classroom with uh, Ghanaian students at the school. So Ghanaian uh, high school students, um, in Ghanaian terms, that's uh, SHS2, the so secondary high school level two students in Ghana. Um, so we concluded the program with a, a business pitch competition at the school, um, and our students also went on after the conclusion of the program at the school to deliver their business pitches at the Chinese embassy in Accra. Um, so just to, to uh, circle back a little bit, you mentioned, you mentioned that one of the, the subjects that the students teach is Wu Ziqi. Um, I wonder if you could tell us what yeah. that is for, you know, for, for no, people who aren't immersed in Chinese culture and why that is being taught. Sure. Um, so, well, honestly, <laughs> it was being taught because the students wanted to teach that. We, we gave the students a lot of freedom in choosing the uh, academic material that they wanted to teach in their classes. Uh, and that was a game that uh, two of our students were really passionate about, particularly um, they were interested in teaching math. But then uh, we were challenging students to think of uh, fun and engaging ways for, um, for them to deliver uh, academic content, and Wu Zichi came up as, as a fun and interesting activity for, for a class. So uh, it seemed like uh, a good way to do that. Wu Zichi itself, it's, um, it's a 19 by 19 board game, and so it's uh, played with white and black pieces, and so usually well, white goes first, and whoever ends up with five pieces of their color in a row first wins. So uh, our Chinese students were teaching um, they were teaching the Ghanaian high school, or sorry, Ghanaian middle school students uh, strategies to play with the chi and also um, you know, how to say some of the uh, the moves and rules and uh, some of the vocabulary in Chinese as well. And very quickly, how old are the the seven students, the Chinese students that go? What age are we talking about? Um, we had. We had all ages in high school, so we had a rising ninth grade student, and we also had rising uh, seniors. And what's that age-wise? 13, 14, um, 15, uh, 15, 16, 17? Oh, uh, uh, yes, age-wise we had uh, uh, one 15-year-old, and uh, the rest were 16, 17, 18. Okay. I mean, I think it's just absolutely fantastic to have these kind of cross-cultural mixings. And I, I really celebrate, and this is something that I've devoted a big part of my own life to doing as somebody who studied in China, did a degree in China, lived in Africa. So um, I love it when I see young people do this. I, I just want to play a little bit of the devil's advocate here. And because you brought up this issue of the volunteerism. And 
you know, AIC is an application consulting service, which is one of the many services in Beijing and mm-hmm. Shanghai that is designed to help students kind of get into U.S. universities. And so I'm really, you know, I'm very cynical about this idea of going to another part of the world to help other people. Um, particularly here in Vietnam, where I live, volunteerism is a very big industry. And it's really an industry where mostly white people come from Europe and, and America, and they come on a two-week holiday, and they, they go to an orphanage, and they think they're actually doing something, or they build a house in the, in the Mekong Delta, and, and they think they're really doing something. When in fact, the people who work in these organizations, they tear down the houses that the white people made, and they actually put up proper ones because the white people don't know how to do this. For the, in the orphanages, you know, what child benefits from having, you know, strange adults coming through every two weeks, and then they just leave again? And so I guess, you know, and I've, mm-hmm. I've railed on the Peace Corps for a very long time on this program because I argue that the Peace Corps' main purpose is not to help other people but to help the students and the young people who participate in Peace Corps, the Americans. It does very little, in my view, for, mm-hmm. for other people. So I guess I'm just wondering, when, when I see the motivations of AIC, which is to help these students kind of have a more diverse, flowery, wonderful resume and experience, which I think is great because that, that does help them get into universities. I just question the motivations of the students that are they really going to do something interesting or are they going from pressure from their parents and the pressure to get into UC Berkeley, Columbia, Harvard, because they really need something to stand apart from the other 300,000 Chinese students that are also applying who do cello, who are all have four pointos on their resumes, on their, their grades, who all have the same kind of profile. And this is just another way to get a different profile. So how do you respond to the cynic in me that kind of questions the motivations of this? That's a great question. And actually, that's something that from the very outset of the proposal for this program that we had to grapple with. Because and like you said, there, there are lots of programs, not just all over the world. In, in China, there are lots of programs. Um, you know, every year, actually, I have I work with students who, on their activity list, they put programs exactly like like what you just uh, described, where you know they're very um, shallow uh, volunteer experiences that are purely for resume building that do not actually affect any sort of sustainable, lasting change. And so, uh, one of I mean, we kind of had a, a well, we kind of cheated in that respect with designing this program because. Um, I had already been to the school previously to do work there, and uh, from the outset, we worked very closely with our hosts in Ghana to really design a program that would bring benefits, and not just to the to the Chinese students who are going, but also to uh, their Ghanaian students in the middle school, and also to their uh, high school classmates who are designing the business plans with them. Um, so, in terms of uh, the benefits, the, the lasting benefits that this program will be able to deliver uh, for the school, um, I'll name a couple of, of big things. One is uh, just purely the curriculum and the, this uh, idea of creating um, not just a, an entrepreneurship program, but specifically a social entrepreneurship program, um, creating a, a business program with value, something that uh, we did at the conclusion of the program was um, we sponsored a trip for not just our students, not, our, not just our Chinese change makers, but also for uh, our Ghanaian change makers as well on the business teams to travel to a Shezi University uh, in Accra. And um, uh, the purpose of that trip was, and it, it was a college visit, 
for the Ghanaian students, but also for the Chinese students to hear about um, entrepreneurship programs that are existing in Africa. And one of the things that Ashesi University does is that it requires students to actually uh, to take entrepreneurship uh, classes. And it's one of the few universities in the world to do that. And so by you know, having our program in entrepreneurship, by forcing our students to go out into their communities, both the Ghanaian and Chinese students, to, uh, to do research, to interact with, with electricians and pastors and taxi drivers and uh, to have conversations with fruit sellers on the side of the street about, you know, where their income comes from to talk about, you know, how money is spent, you know, why, how does the rainy season affect crops and to use that information in business pitches to come up with ideas to solve problems. Um, that exchange, you know, that was, that was just the beginning of something, you know, while we were at the school, but then to see, uh, to see the programs at Ashesi University, it kind of, um, it kind of lit a light bulb in the heads of both our Chinese and Ghanaian change makers, uh, it really, it, it showed them what was possible. And, um, you know, after we left, uh, I mean, everybody on Ghana is basically on, on, on Facebook, uh, on Facebook mobile, mobile chat. And the, the chat messages that we were receiving uh, from the students and from the teachers at the school were, were just unbelievable. They, they, they spoke about this energy that was on campus after we left, how there was, so much enthusiasm and how they were, they were actually, they were attracting alumni back to the school to, uh, to deliver, um, you know, their experiences and to, um, to give back. And, and the, the, the change that was, you know, from, from our visit was, I think, um, and part of it was, you know, delivering this experience for our Chinese students to put volunteer teaching on their resume and um, to give them a business idea that, you know, maybe they could present at a conference or a business competition but also to you know, show something, you know, show that there's a, a greater, uh, there's a world beyond the village, that there is you know, so much is possible with, with the right ideas and the right awareness and um, uh, um, the ideas that, that we were able to bring. Yeah. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Um, I was, you know, kind of like, it, it, it sounds incredibly interesting, um, but I, 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 right at the moment I'm finding it a little bit difficult to understand what, like how the the Ghanaian students are involved. Like it, it sounds like they are being taught, Ghana, certain kind of Ghanaian students are being taught as part of volunteer teaching, and yet also some Ghanaian students are actually involved in the social entrepreneurship design programs like how how does the program break down from the Ghanaian side oh uh yes so um every summer heritage academy runs a summer school for both middle and high school students and so our chinese high school change makers were delivering classes as teachers to middle school students at heritage academy in the morning uh in the afternoon uh, our Chinese changemakers uh, then uh, took classes together with the, a, a group of high school students at Heritage Academy um, in, in social entrepreneurship. So there, there are two, uh, uh, two very distinct programs, one a volunteer teaching component and one uh, taking entrepreneurship classes. Talk to me a little bit about who the the children are, the young the young Chinese are, you know, and their profile. I mean, you talked about that they're from fifteen to about seventeen years old. They're high school students. Um, 
you know, typically Chinese families um, don't give a lot of autonomy to to young to students, in, in, you know, to their children. They the parent the children follow the guidance of the parents, um, and so I'm wondering what the where's the motivation come to do this program? Does it come from the young person who says, "Mom, Dad, I want to I want to go to Africa to go to Ghana," or is this from the parents who are oftentimes orchestrating the or engineering to the to the minutest detail of what the children do to get into a good university. Where, what's the politics of that in terms of, of how, the, how the children come to you? Actually, that was, that's a really good question. Um, from the very beginning, that was actually something that we were most worried about, was that there would be nobody interested in our program, uh, simply because uh, Chinese parents are very demanding, and they do scrutinize and, and very carefully plan out activities for their children. And um, Africa, to a lot of Chinese parents, it does, it seems like a model, it's a monolithic place. It's a lot of war and disease. And we actually, we had uh, 26 prospective students for the program, and a lot of them, uh, a lot of them made the decision not to go because of uh, various reasons, some of which were were, stereotypes about how Africa is an unsafe place. Uh, in terms of actually, you know, why students, uh, you know, what convinced these students to participate in our program, we had uh, five students who were from, who were coming to us from U.S. boarding schools. So uh, two students were domestic Chinese students. And um, I think what that really speaks to is that, you know, the Chinese students of ours who are in U.S. boarding schools, a lot of them had already been on international service programs. Uh, we had one student of ours who had been on a, a program to uh, Guatemala to look at fair trade, uh, uh, fair trade practices, um, for example, who was interested in actually, uh, while she lived in Ghana, um, learning about chocolate manufacturing, um, and, or rather uh, bean, uh, uh, cocoa bean production. Um, and so uh, for these students who are with us, a lot of what they were seeking to get out of the trip was um, a combination of, of what they and their parents were hoping to get out of the trip was um, uh, really something that would be different, something that would set them apart on their resume. And uh, quite frankly, there was, I, I looked for a long time. I don't think there are any programs that combine uh, both a volunteer teaching experience with a rigorous uh, academic uh, experience in social entrepreneurship quite like we were able to do this past summer. Um, and from the African side, the, the African um, changemaker students, um, well, what are their profile? Um, are they similarly also from a both diaspora and African background, or are they mostly from Africa? And also, are they also are some of them also trying to use this experience of trying to get into U.S. universities? Um, yeah. So, uh, in all the students that attended this program were all from the local village. Uh, so there are a lot of them come from families that uh, are living on uh, a couple of dollars a day. Uh, they, um, many, most of the students have grown up going to Heritage Academy. Uh, a little bit about Heritage Academy itself. Um, it, it was started by uh, one of my, actually one of my high school teachers uh, from Westtown School named Quasi Kunsen. Um, and so he uh, started the school uh, as a member of, of the village community in rural Ghana in Bremen, Essiam, uh, as, 
as a way to provide for the community a very low cost uh, alternative education. Um, and what the students are, are experiencing at Heritage Academy is a little bit different from other schools in, in Ghana. Uh, in Ghana, the educational system is, is very much about, um, it's, very, it's very traditional British education. So a lot of memorization, a lot of focus on uh, math and science and, uh, and English, uh, a lot of rote memorization of English text. And uh, at Heritage Academy, um, there are a couple of different things. Their, their primary values, um, knowledge and integrity, uh, are lived out through uh, a couple of different policies that they have, among which there's no corporal punishment at Heritage Academy. Um, uh, they have now uh, entrepreneurship is a required part of their high school curriculum. Um, they, uh, they encourage students to ask questions. Uh, discussion. They have small class sizes. Um, most of the students are on scholarship. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what the figure is, but I think it's, I think it's more than 90% of the students at Heritage Academy uh, don't pay for anything, uh, including the tuition, um, uniform, food, and so forth. So, and the students, in, in specifically who are, who are attending our program, um, they were at the summer school uh, program at, that be, simply because they wanted to be there. And they're from, they're from the area and uh, truly represented, um, were represented of you know, that region and uh, hoping to uh, hoping to be part of this program for their first time. You know, Cobus, I, I have to say that I have very mixed feelings about study abroad programs, um, not just what we've heard today, but also just in general. You know, the U.S. universities, when they send these students abroad, they send these big groups of kids, you know, sometimes from many different universities clustered together, 30, 40, 50, even 100, they go to a university somewhere, they all kind of stick together, they don't really break out, they don't learn the local language, they don't learn, the, they don't immerse themselves in the culture, and it's just, it's kind of ridiculous, the whole thing. And then in Africa, I worry a little bit because, you know, it creates, it fosters this idea of, again, you know, Africa is the victim, we're there to help I'm, I'm always skeptical of when a 16-year-old from any country is teaching another child. I mean, it just creates this weird kind of imbalance. Now, that's the negative side. The positive side of what Francis and AIC are doing is that I love the fact that they're exposing young people to this big, broader world, as he said. Um, I think that's so critical in the fact that it's small and it's dynamic and it's kind of immersive. Um, so it, 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 it's, a, it's a complicated issue. And, and Francis brought up this question of the volunteerism as well, which is, you know, has a lot of, you know, unintended consequences that can sometimes warp an experience. So, you know, what's your thought, Cobus, as you kind of reflect on what we've heard? Well, it, you know, it, it certainly sounds like a, like a very innovative and interesting program. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it's incredibly exciting and valuable um, on, on the personal level. Um, you know, kind of as, as my questions have shown, um, you know, kind of I, I am, I, I do tend to wonder from an African side, you know, kind of like what, what the role of African students are in, in, in this and, you know, kind of and, and how, you know, what, what they're getting out of it. Um, and, and, you know, obviously, Francis, you have, um, you have like laid that out, you know, uh, in, in, in quite a lot of detail. And it's, it sounds very interesting. And a lot of it sounds very um 
like, like it would, you know, kind of broaden some some of African students' world, um, you know, to, for example, to come come face to face with some formal uh, education on Chinese history and Chinese art, for example. Um, what I'm wondering, though, is whether, and, and I'd love to actually hear what what you say about that as well, is uh, to which extent is this building a bridge for Chinese students to the U.S. via African students? And to which extent is it building a bridge for African students somewhere? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so it's just really quickly, uh, both the Chinese students who attended our program, as well as uh, some of the Ghanaian students who are in our program will be applying to U.S. universities. Uh, so every year, um, Heritage Academy does have uh, many of its students apply to U.S. universities with, I mean, with, with mixed results. Uh, but um, it is a goal of theirs to, uh, to be able to use these experiences with their students to send their, you know, to send their students to uh, abroad, to, to not just the United States, but the U.K. as well. And um, in terms of the experience, what it provided for uh, both the Chinese and Canadian students together um, that might maybe be best. Maybe it'd be best if I if I gave an example of one of the business ideas that the students came up with together. Uh, and so, uh, in, in the uh, business competition, um, we had three teams, uh, and so they each t- tackled a different problem. Um, one of the teams, uh, you know, in the two weeks that we were there, uh, we spent a lot of time kind of wandering around through the villages. Uh, yeah taking observations, asking people questions about a couple of different core areas of their life, including um, income and time use and so forth. And one of the things that came up over and over again was just there was, there was a lot of trash everywhere. And you know, our Chinese students were kind of um, perplexed by this because you know, in China, uh, there are these you know, kind of three-wheeled tricycles that uh, people in orange suits ride around in and, and sweep up all the trash. And so there's, there's no trash anywhere. Um, in China, usually, and so uh, they're wondering, you know, why why is there trash everywhere in Ghana? Um, and so it's not they they realized that the Ghanaian students they weren't um, when when they asked them this question, it was it was sort of like, well, you know, there's no no really there's no place for it to go. Um, you know, no one is there to collect it, and. And then there were also, uh, they noticed a couple of pits by the side of the road that were burning at times, and people were burning trash in some places. And like, well, like, wow, that's, that's kind of unhealthy. Like, why are people burning trash? And it's like, well, you know, when, when the Ghanaian students proposed this question by our Chinese uh, change makers, uh, their response was just, well, that's kind of the way it's always been done. And, you know, thinking about, like, how, uh, you know, what they could do you know, this was this was just an issue that they had observed, and the Ghanaian students recognized that it was an issue. Um, it's something that our Chinese students were like, well, that they had asked was, you know, well, do you enjoy living in an environment like this? Like, do you enjoy living, you know, with trash everywhere? And the obvious answer was no. <laughs> like, the Ghanaian students were like, obviously not. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and so the the business idea that they came up with was, you know, we you know we should. Uh, here's the issue, right? There's trash everywhere. Start a waste management company. And the Ghanaian students and Chinese students worked on this idea together to produce the, an idea that eventually went on to win our competition and, and received uh, praise from the, the Chinese embassy as well. 
Um, it incorporated a couple of really, really cool ideas from both our Chinese and Ghanaian students working together. Um, part of it was uh, an idea to use not trash trucks, but actually motorcycles or motorbikes to move uh, the trash buckets around. Um, part of that was a cost-saving measure. Part of it was just because it's easier for motorbikes to get around rural areas in Ghana where their the roads aren't necessarily as well-maintained. Um, uh, from our Chinese side, uh, one of their biggest contributions was a cost-saving measure to, to just the idea to rent equipment instead of buying uh, trash compactors uh, to, uh, to cut capital costs at the, at the beginning. So there are, there are big contributions from both sides. And, and really, I think it was one of the things that, that this did was it, um, it, it gave the Chinese, our Chinese students and Ghanaian students a chance to work together on an international team, which is something that uh, in, domestically in China is not very common. And in Ghana, is, in, in rural Ghana, is certainly uh, in that area had never really been seen before. Listen, Francis, so in terms of contributions, you deserve an enormous amount of credit for what you've done as the co-founder of this. I mean, it, it's not easy. And, and, you know, I know these things are, are not, uh, you know, the, the morality, the ethics, the questions, all of those things are always there. But at the end of the day, you've done something that deserves an enormous amount of credit. And it's not easy. Um, so I just, you know, kudos, hats off, you know, to you and what you guys have done. Well, thank you. Because uh, I think it's really fantastic. Again, I'm always going to kind of tilt a little bit in favor of these kind of, of people from different cultures, particularly the Chinese and African sides getting together and the Ghanaians kind of being exposed to Chinese culture and the Chinese kind of getting exposed to some of the issues. Um, it's just, you know, I was just thinking the irony of, you know, people from China kind of questioning about people who live in polluted environments. I mean, obviously China being one of the most polluted <laughs> exactly, countries in the world. Right? I mean, kind of like the awareness on that one was just like, Oof, but okay. I mean, you know, but nonetheless, again, it's all, you know, broadening of the, of, of the horizons for everybody involved. So, uh, so just very quickly before we go, if people want to find out more about your program, where can they go? If they're, if all, you know, we have Chinese parents who are listening to this and they say, that's that's it for my little Xiaomi. Where do they go to find out more? Um, so uh, they would be able to go visit our company's website, www.jq-edu.com. Uh, we also uh, will be posting on our company's WeChat accounts. Okay. Uh, AIC is one of those application consulting firms. It's also where Francis Miller is an education consultant based in Beijing and the co-founder of the China-Ghana Changemaker Program, uh, really one of the first of the many, what I expect to be many, kind of study abroad as the Chinese now are diversifying their their approach to applying for universities, but also probably because there is just a growing interest in studying international cultures in China and something that I think is desperately needed just as it is in the United States. So, Francis, thank you so much for staying up late to join us on the show, and uh, we wish you the best of luck with year two of your program. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And for Cobus Van Staden, I'm Eric Olander, and we'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to Facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show or follow China Africa News that's updated every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadenesk or Eric at E. Olander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. 
Subscribe to the China Africa podcast on iTunes or download the mobile apps for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone. Just head over to your favorite store and search for China Africa.